Today's episode is brought to you by VidAngel. VidAngel helps you set customizable filters to remove profanity, blasphemy, sexual content, violence, and more from thousands of TV shows and movies all within their super user-friendly app. I love movies. You guys all know this. I love movies. I love TV shows. I love my kids. And I really love showing movies and TV shows to my kids. And I really love VidAngel because it helps me show the movies that I know and I love to my kids without having to worry about the content. Because you know how sometimes like you have those movies that you grew up watching and then you like show them to an audience and you're like, oh wait, I totally forgot that that like weird sketchy part happened. Like recently I really wanted to show my daughter Josie and the Pussycats and I was trying to think, I'm like, okay, I watched this movie a lot when I was younger. So surely like it's fine for my daughter. My daughter is obsessed with pop stars right now. This is a perfect fit. Turns out, turns out, the early 2000s were a different time for movie watching and the jokes went straight over my head and I was sitting there watching it with my six-year-old and I was like, oh, let's turn this off. But with VidAngel, you don't have to do that because VidAngel lets you set customizable filters before you even start watching something so then you know when you're sitting down to watch your show or your movie that it's not going to have anything in it that you don't want to see or you don't want to hear or you don't want your kids to hear, etc. Anyway, I love the service. I think that it's like super useful and I was so excited when they reached out and they asked if I wanted to partner with them and help promote it to my followers and my listeners because I think it's a really helpful tool to kind of have in your back pocket for when you want to watch things with, you know, your children or with a group. So VidAngel is offering a free two-week trial to listeners of I Just Want to Chat. Just go on to vidangel.com and use the promo code WANTACHAT for a free two-week trial. It's no commitment. You could try it for two weeks, and if it's not a good fit for you, you could totally unsubscribe. But I'm confident that if you're somebody that likes to kind of monitor the content that you have in your own home or that you watch yourself, that VidAngel will be a really useful tool for you to have. So use my promo code WANTACHAT for a free two-week trial, and I hope that you love it. Happy streaming. Now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the I Just Want to Chat podcast. I'm Mary, and although I am full of rage, Oscar-related rage, I'm happy to be here with you all today. It's going to be a fun episode. I go over all of the Oscar nominees. I go over what awards campaigning means and how people get nominated for Oscars and then win Oscars, Grammys, etc. And then we also talk a little bit about Taylor Swift. We talk about Akatar for a second and then also Ballerina Farm. So it's a quick-ish episode. I mean, I'm saying quick. It was an hour, but it's going to be a quick hour. So have fun. I hope you enjoy it. I love you all. Now on with the show. All right. Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. Today's rage-filled episode because I'm pissed. I'm full of rage and feminine anger, which is also called anger. I don't know why I like, felt like I had to insert my gender in there. But anyway, I'm mad at the Academy of Motion Pictures today. I'm here with my husband, Alex. Alex volunteered to be on the pod today which was fun and funny. Yeah, just really wanted to come on and chat. Do you have, personally, a lot of, I mean, I guess we'll get to this as our conversation, but like as a quick preview, do you have a lot of feelings and thoughts about the Academy Awards in general and the news that we got today about the nominations? Not really, not compared to you. I didn't even know what these were a while back. You don't know what the Oscars no, were I, I, a while back? I mean, I wasn't really familiar with how all this stuff happens before. Okay, I was about to say, I'm like, that's a little insane. Like, like I, I don't... thought it was just a little voting thing, like, oh, let's give some award. I didn't know there was 
All the I mean, politics at, to it. At the end of the day, that's really what they're doing. Oh, yes, let's give but... us a little award. I thought that you were saying like that you didn't know about the Oscars, and I'm like, that's no, kind of I ridiculous. No, I knew the Oscars, but I didn't r- truly know what hmm. they were all about. Because I'm like, I don't watch sports, but I could like tell you what the Heisman Trophy is in theory. You could. It's a football trophy that they give to the best guy okay yeah that's close enough or the stanley cup not the tumblers which by the way (laughs) i promise i wasn't planning on talking about this this wasn't a planned segue i've been in the weeds today i've been in the bushes because i found out a couple days ago that there are stanley cup resale sites on facebook which shouldn't like facebook groups which shouldn't surprise me because i for like a little bit of time like, for some reason, I was in, like, a Courtney Jean swimsuits. Remember those? Courtney Jean swimsuits buy, sell, trade page. And that was insane. But even more insane than that was a little poppy co, like those hair bows for kids. Remember when I got really into Oh, them? no. Yes. Yes, I do remember. I hated those. When I had my second girl, there was, like, a little period of time where I was like, I'm going to take our limited funds and I'm going to become a bow mom. And my kids are going to have, like, coordinating hair bows every day. Um, but anyway, I remember the buy, sell, trade pages on those were nuts, but my friend informed me that the Stanley tumblers are an insane, like it's an insane resale market right now because yes, you can get the Stanley tumblers everywhere. Like I feel like the news tries to make it sound like you can't find these cups anywhere. You could walk into Dick's Sporting Goods. They sell yeah. them on Amazon. They have them I at Target. I looked them up today and I was like, oh, there's not a shortage or anything. Yeah, it's just these rare colors. So I have, I'm not like the other girls. I've been on the Stanley train for a long time. And when I say not like the other girls, I mean, I am like the other girls because I got the cups because of other women. But, you know, a couple years ago before it was as mainstream. Anyway, so I found out like a couple days ago that one of my cups, the Desert Sage cup from 2020, is extremely rare. It's called a HTF, hard to find cup. I learned a lot of the terminology today. HTF cup. Um, And in great condition, you could sell it for $850. In like moderate scuffed condition, you can get like 500 to 600 for it. In Mary Arndt condition, you can get, as I found out, about 150 for it, which is still great because I technically, I mean, I got it from my boss. Like I got it, my, I mean, maybe I shouldn't publicize this, but the woman I work for got it in like a PR box situation. She had multiple. She gave it to me. So I never had to pay for it for this. And now it's just pure profit. How about that? Grinning neat. But. Um, so who is really into the, is it just. All kinds of people that are really into the Stanleys now. You said it's mainstream. So did it used to not be mainstream? Yes. And now it is? Well, I mean... Is it like younger girls now that are... Yeah, because now they have... Status symbol? So what I've learned in the groups is that... So they have the 40-ounce Adventure Quencher, which is the big big guy that we all have. Yeah, big old, yes. But then they introduced the 30-ounce cup. That's the one that all the teens have. Oh, okay. And that's one that, like, the cool kids have. Not the moms. Yeah. So, like, the 40-ouncers are specifically, like, mom cups. And if, like, a teenager gets one, like, I read many a post today in the buy-sell trade group as I was, like, trying to do my market research, like, to figure out how to price my desert sage cup. 
there were a lot of people saying like, I'm just reselling this because I got it for my daughter and I didn't realize I got her a mom cup and it's a 40 ouncer. Does anybody want to buy this so I could get her the 30 ounce one? Um, but controversial Stanley opinion. I think the ice flow is better. At least for me in my life. First of all, when you're holding the 40 ounce Stanley and it's full of ice and water, it is a weapon. It is so heavy. And I like... There have been times where I'm holding it and I'm like holding one of my kids and I like whip my body around and I'm like, oh my gosh, I almost just like smacked one of my toddlers in the face with this cup. It's a a weapon. Anyway, so that's why I have to sell it (laughs) to get weapons out of the home. There you go. Anyway, that was a tangent, but... I think you need to someday go through and make a history of the Stanley Cup. I feel like that would be interesting. It's not my culture. I feel like I can't do it. I feel like you could, though. I feel like there's some crossover. I mean, there's definitely crossover, but I just feel like... With, like, how it became mainstream. I just just feel like other news organizations have done that. I'm too busy. I don't know if I've seen that. I don't think I have seen that. That's my idea. I'm trying to figure out how that would have fallen across your desk. Like, they're not talking about it on the Cougar board, are they? The Stanley Cups? I mean, I'm sure it comes up a little bit. Alex, I mentioned this basically on every podcast, but for those who are new here, Alex goes on a BYU fan forum tens of times a day, um, and it's called Cougar Board. He's not on a forum to meet older women. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, if it's like a sugar mama situation, I could share (laughs) for the right price. But I mean, it depends, you know, what she's willing to offer. If it's a cougar situation. But anyway, we are here today to talk about the Academy Awards. Amongst a myriad of other topics, um, but really the Oscars is the one that I'm the most riled up about. And also the one I got the most questions about on Instagram today. So the Oscar nominations came out today. I made my predictions yesterday. Predictions wise, I honestly shouldn't be that pissed because I did pretty well and maybe some of my frustration about the snubs are because the people that got snubbed are the people that I predicted to be nominated so maybe this is like a personal vendetta and I'm like saying the quiet parts out loud here but the Oscar nominations came out noticeably absent Margot Robbie for Barbie noticeably absent Greta 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 Gerwig for Barbie also, no Greta Lee for past lives, even though I knew that she was probably in, like, the sixth spot. There were, like, a couple weird random snubs, but those are the two main ones and, like, the two ones that kind of hurt the most. So let's talk about Margot Robbie first. Here's the deal. When talking about these Oscar nominations, we have to talk about the Oscar campaign, So I mentioned this a couple times on my Instagram story and people, this was like a new concept, which is totally understandable because I feel like it's not really talked about unless you follow these races closely and like you're, you know, kind of insane about all this stuff like I am. Um, So here's the deal. So one would think that when somebody is nominated for an Academy Award or Grammy or a Emmy or anything of that nature, that it's a certain body of voters that look at the work that was created in a year, they pick out the best performances, and then they, you know, select to give them nominations and give them awards. 
it's actually one of the most like political institutions institutions is that the right word it's one of like the most political things not actually in like the government that i could think of and campaigning takes a lot of different forms like if you want to talk about campaigning in the sense of like the grammy nominees so the grammys they it takes a lot of campaigning by your record label and by the artists themselves to get nominated and then to win awards let's take taylor swift for example when Taylor Swift wanted to win for 1989, she sent out press boxes to every single Grammy Academy voter. She held an event at the Grammy Museum. You know those like cool YouTube videos of her singing that like cool electric guitar version of Wildest Dreams? And um, she did that like out of the woods on piano and everything. It's like kind of like these classic Taylor Swift YouTube videos. That was her at one of her Grammy campaign meetings. And not only did she like do that, but she did a one hour like Q&A session where she like went over all the voice notes that she did for her album and like showed like her songwriting process. And then she stayed there for I think like seven or eight hours and met with every single person that came and talked to them personally. And that was just one day of her multi, multi month long campaign. An Oscars campaign, much like a Grammys campaign, an Oscars campaign can, like, it's estimated that an Oscars campaign can cost a person or a movie studio anywhere from five to twenty-five million dollars. And campaigns take a lot of forms. So, like, the things that would cost money are for your consideration ads. If you ever go to, like, LA or I think that they have them in New York too, but basically like in LA, billboards everywhere say like for your consideration, the bear, and it will be the stars of the bear or for your consideration, Oppenheimer. And it will be a picture of probably like the Trinity test or Robert Downey Jr. in black and white looking moody or something. So there's the actual like campaigning in like physical ways. Every movie studio they send out screener DVDs. Like if you're a member of SAG, if you're a member of the Academy, if you're a member of the critics body for like the critics choice, choice awards or anyone that has any kind of influence, they send out screener DVDs. And not only do they normally just send, um, not just send DVDs or blue, Blu-rays or whatever. They also send like huge press box full of merch and, you know, Goodies. Yeah, and goodies and like sponsored things in there and makeup items and whatever. So there's that aspect of it. So that costs money. And then there's all these events. So who I want to talk about right now is a woman named Andrea Risenborough. She was nominated for a movie called Two Leslie last year. And you might be thinking, Two Leslie, did I see that one? The answer is no. No, you didn't. It played on five screens in America for a very limited time. And then it didn't even like go to streaming. But Andrea Risenborough, Risenborough, I'm, let me double check that I'm pronouncing her last name right. Okay, I'm a psycho. I kept saying Risenborough. It's Riseborough. There we go. Anyway, so she was in this movie called Too, Too Leslie. It was a movie 
where she played a drug addict and somebody that was in recovery and kind of like her crazy journey through all of that stuff. And from the clips, I've never seen the movie. It was a hard movie to get a hold of. From the clips I've seen, it's a very like strung out and like it seems like a very good performance, but also seems like very like loud and yelly. Andrea had a lot of industry connections a lot of famous friends. Mark Marin, the podcaster and actor, he was involved in the movie. And they kind of staged this like grassroots effort. Well, at first it seemed like it was grassroots, but there was so much money involved in this nomination process. So the best actress race of 2023, so last year's Oscar nominee nominees, seemed like it was pretty locked up. But then like right after Christmas of 2022 and like a month before the Academy voting was over for the nominees, there was like a quiet grassroots effort that got louder and louder to get Andrea Riseborough nominated for To Leslie. And the nominees for Best Actress seemed pretty locked up. And one of those slots was basically assumed to be Viola Davis for The Woman King. And there were all these like precursor events. Andrea Riseborough wasn't nominated for any of them except for I think maybe the SAG award. I'm not sure, but all of their famous friends, they threw these events and all these events were screenings of two Leslie. So it was like Kate Winslet. I think Jeff Bezos was involved in one. Um, There were a couple other like famous people. Gwyneth Paltrow, she held a screening And basically what these like famous people did was they said like, hey, come to our screening of Two Leslie and you'll get access to me, Gwyneth Paltrow, a very successful and famous person in Hollywood with a lot of power and money. And you'll come and you'll come get like our swag bags and come see this movie. And like, oh, all the people on the invite invite list just happen to be Academy voters because you can't specifically target these people for, um, like screenings and things like that. Like the Academy rules have gotten a little bit stricter after this thing happened. But before last year, the rules were like, you can't invite people to a screening and offer them access to certain people or certain gifts or whatever when you're really trying to coerce votes out of them, right? The rules have gotten stricter now, but people were holding all these screenings And then you were seeing pop up on social media everywhere, like Jennifer Aniston, who would like rarely post to saying, just saw two Leslie, Andrea Riseborough is an amazing revelation, whatever. So then the Academy Award nominees come out, Viola Davis snubbed out of her spot in place of Andrea Riseborough in a movie that I think, don't quote me on this number, I think it made less than $100,000 in the American box office. Like people had not seen this movie but that was just like that's one example of crazy award campaigning another example i want to give is diane warren so diane warren beat her record that she set last year for the most academy award nominations with zero wins last year diane warren was nominated for 14 times with no wins and that was the record for the amount of award nominations with no wins. And then today she was nominated yet again for Best Original Song. 
and this will be her 15th nomination with, again, there's no way that she's going to win another award. But her team behind her knows how to put together an Oscars campaign because they've been trying to win her an Oscar since the 90s, maybe the 80s. Because all Diane Warren does is she writes these songs for these movies, these movies that people haven't seen, these songs that people haven't heard of. The song that she got nominated for today was from the Flamin' Hot Cheetos movie. I still need to see that. You need to? Yes. I've had no interest in it because it's like not based on a true story. Like they, they're pretending like it's based on a true story, but then it's not. And it just seems like annoying. Also, for some reason, I have weird Eva Longoria biases. And I don't know why. I need to like dissect that. I feel like sometimes she did something that like upset me in the pop culture world. I'm trying to... I'll get back to everybody on that one. Anyway, she got nominated for her song in the Flamin' Hot Cheetos movie. The year before, she was nominated for some random Sophia Carson song, The Girl from Descendants. The year before that, she was nominated for a movie where... Um, Mila Kunis was a drug addict with Glenn Close that nobody saw. Like every single year, she's nominated for movies that have that people haven't seen, songs that people haven't heard of, and she has not won the Oscar yet. And again, this will not be her year to do it. But the team behind her, they know how to host screenings, they know how to send out screeners, they know how to schmooze. People love Diane Warren, and um, and again, like so, who makes up the Academy, right? So the Academy, you get invited to be in the Academy once you have a certain number of different like theatrical credits under your name. And then the Academy can choose to extend an invite to you. So like a couple years ago, Robert Pattinson got invited. And then like two years after that, even though Adam Driver had been nominated for an Oscar and Robert Pattinson hadn't, the Academy extended an invite to to Adam Driver to be in the Academy. Does that make sense? I mean, it doesn't make sense, but like who the Academy invites is kind of, you know, kind of loosey goosey and there's like no real like rhyme or reason to it. And of course, a couple years ago, there was a huge push to make the Academy more, more diverse because I think it was 2016, I want to say there was that big Oscars so white campaign because there were no movies like made by anyone of color no movies that like featured people of color or anything like in the main categories. So long story short, people run these huge campaigns. So that's why Margot Robbie not getting nominated for an Oscar after her entire life has been an Oscars campaign, like putting aside the fact that Barbie was amazing. She was the freaking Barbie of the movie. And it couldn't have been the same without her. And she produced the movie and was like part of the movie every step of the way. Don't get me wrong. She did get nominated for Barbie because she was the executive producer. So like if Barbie won, Margot Robbie would be walking up the stage, not as Barbie, but as the executive producer of Barbie to accept the award. Like Greta Gerwig wouldn't be accepting the award or anything like that. So it's just so frustrating. But anyway... Let's first go over the nominees for Best Actress. And before I begin, they're all talented, right? If I could, you know, break off an Oscar Mean Girl style and throw it into the crowd and give everyone 
a piece of the Oscar or I would, whatever. But the nominees are Annette Benning for Nyad, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. Lily Gladstone, yes, give it to her. Emma Stone, yes, give it to her. Sandra Huller, I understand. Yes, give it to her. Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, here's the thing. She was a great part of a movie that I did not like. Does that a nomination make? I don't know. I don't think so. Not in this year that's so stacked and not in a year where there is one movie that made $1 billion that was extremely good and accomplished so much and could not have been what it was without this performance. I do not know how you look at Carrie Mulligan's performance and Margot Robbie's performance and what they meant to each movie and then give it and then give the nomination to Carrie Mulligan. But then again, that does come down to campaigning. And I feel like maybe this was the error in which led Margot Robbie to not get nominated. Oh, and by the way, the other nominee is Emma Stone for Poor Things. Of course, that's going to happen, and she's probably going to win. It's in between her and Lily Gladstone. But I think that maybe Margot Robbie was maybe campaigning more for Barbie to be nominated, and then her being nominated was maybe more of a second thought or an afterthought, you know, campaign-wise. And then I think Carrie Mulligan, and not only Carrie Mulligan, but like Bradley Cooper, his entire life the last couple months has been an Oscars campaign. I don't know if you guys know this, but Maestro was supposed to come out last year. But there was another movie about a composer called Tar, starring Kate Blanchett, that was supposed to be like the best picture of the year. And they held that movie back because Bradley Cooper didn't want to campaign against another movie about a composer. Isn't that kind of insane to wait an entire year? But anyway, that's what people do. So, but I think the obvious thing that happened here was that Annette Benning got nominated for Nyad. Annette Benning is great. Nyad, I did try to watch it and it bored me. And I think that, I think her name is Diane Nyad, something Nyad is a weird polarizing figure. Like I read up on her afterwards and I was like, oh, this is kind of a weird person. I know that Annette Benning had to do a lot of swimming for this movie, but it just seems so weird to just throw her in the best actress category when there's two actresses, because Greta Lee also should have been nominated for Past Lives. In a perfect world, my best actress nominees would have been Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Emma Stone for Poor Things, Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall, Greta Lee for poor, or for Past Lives, and Barbie, Margot Robbie, you know? So it's just, it's insane. And it doesn't feel good, and I don't understand. And of course, this was one thing that I was afraid of too. I was afraid of like all the discourse that was going to happen once. Because I was like, all right, wow, what if Margot Robbie doesn't get nominated? All we're going to have to hear is like, but of course they nominated Ken, which, yes, that is insane. But I just don't want to hear the discourse about it. But Ryan Gosling did release a very nice statement about how he got nominated for his role of Ken, which, again, very deserving. And yet Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, we'll get to her in a minute, didn't get nominated for their 
you know, parts of Barbie. And he says, I am extremely honored to be nominated by my colleagues alongside such remarkable artists in a year of so many great films. And I never thought I'd be saying this, but I'm so incredibly honored and proud that it's for portraying a plastic doll named Ken. But there is no Ken without Barbie. There is no Barbie movie without Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, the two most responsible for this history-making globally celebrated film. No recognition would be possible for anyone on the film without their talent, grit, and genius. To say that I am disappointed that they are not nominated in their respective categories would be an understatement. Against all odds, with nothing but a couple of soulless, scantily clad, and thankfully crotchless dolls, they made us laugh, they broke our hearts, they pushed our culture, and they made history. Their work should be recognized along with the other very deserving nominees. Having said that, I am so happy for America Ferreira and the other incredible artists who contributed their talents to making this such a groundbreaking film. I'm really bad at reading out loud, guys. Do you? Here's the thing. When I was in school, I would know, like, would anybody else ever do this? When it was read out loud time, I would calculate when it was going to be my turn and which like, paragraph I would have to read. And then I wouldn't listen to anybody else, like what they were reading out loud. I would just be running what I was going to be reading out loud over and over and over and over and over again. Surely that's not an original experience, right? Anyway, that was a very respectful, respectable thing of Ryan Gosling to do and say. And I agree with him. It's it's a bunch of malarkey, uh, as Joe Biden would say. Also, it's worth noting right now that Alex Arndt did have to go leave the room to go help out a child, just so you guys don't think I'm like, you know, talking over him and not letting him have his peace. But anyway, let's talk about Greta Gerwig. So Greta Gerwig was not nominated for Best Act or Best Director which is very upsetting to me. Here are the nominees. Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest, Yorgos Lothimos for Poor Things, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, and Justine Triette for Anatomy of a Fall. In my opinion, the Jonathan Glazer spot should have gone to Greta Gerwig. And how confident am I when I say that? I mean, I can't be that confident, but that also brings me to my point. I haven't seen The Zone of Interest because they haven't freaking distributed it in America, really. Like, I do not get me wrong. I don't want to sound like xenophobic or like I don't believe in international film or anything. And by the way, when we're talking about this being an international film, it's from England. So that, that, that's where we're at here with this international film. The Zone of Interest seems like a very impactful important film it's about a family that lives on a vacation vacation home that's attached to auschwitz or another concentration camp i believe and i believe it's about like reconciling those things i i'm not really sure because again i can't see the freaking movie and that's what's so frustrating because the academy of motion pictures is an American institution. They've done a great job of diversifying in the last couple of years. And there are people that are members of the Academy from all over the world. And that's so great. And there is the best international feature category. But for these big categories, I would like there to be rules and criteria that these movies have to be widely distributed so I could freaking see them. 
I care about the Oscars and I want the Oscars to be a thing for a very long time. And in order for them to be cared about, they have to have movies in there that people have seen. And unless you live in a very major market, and I'm talking LA or New York City, maybe Chicago and maybe Seattle. Like I live in Las Vegas. There's 50 movie theaters here. Not one screen is playing the zone of interest. And I check frequently. I've been trying to see this movie. Not even like the art house theaters are showing it. So it's frustrating to me that one of the best director slots, one of the most prestigious slots of the night is being taken by somebody or that somebody is able to get in that spot with a movie that hasn't been distributed for people to see. That's what's frustrating to me. And then if we want to, I mean, Martin Scorsese should definitely be in there, obviously. Christopher Nolan obviously should be in there. Oppenheimer is probably going to win Best Picture. I saw Poor Things. It wasn't my thing, but Yorgos Lothimos, definitely a well-directed movie. There were a lot of moving parts and great things happening. I have seen Anatomy of a Fall, but it's kind of the same thing as with The Zone of Interest. It's another international film that I had to jump through hoops to see. I didn't even review it on I Just Want to Chat on like my movie reviewing site or platform, whatever. Platform meaning my Instagram page. I'm making myself like sound less legitimate as I go on. I didn't even review it because I watched it illegally because I can't find a freaking movie theater to watch it in. And so, yes, I did see it. It's very impressive. It was very, like, harrowing. And, like, I hate watching movies and, um, and TV shows and stuff where, like, people think that somebody's guilty. And, like, like, my biggest fear in life is ever being, like, falsely accused of a crime. And that's kind of what the movie is about. Well, you don't really know if she... The movie's about a woman who discovers that her husband had died by suicide, jumped off of the roof. And she reports it, and then she's accused of the murder. Like, is it a murder? Is it a suicide? That's the the theme of the whole movie. Then it's a big courtroom drama. drama. And it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. But when I think about, not to put another woman down, but that's so not even what it's about for me here. I'm literally comparing movie to movie to movie. There aren't that many set pieces or anything in Anatomy of a Fall. You're in the courtroom, you're in the house, you're in the property around the house. I'm trying to remember other things. Greta Gerwig for Barbie. Think about how many moving parts there were. Think about the production design. And yes, she wasn't the production designer. Somebody else did that. But it couldn't have been done without Greta Gerwig's communication to the production designer. So there were... Such the production design, the dollhouses, the scale, the huge ensemble, the musical number, the dancing, everything. Like there was one way to look at the Academy Awards and the nominees and who gets nominated and whatever, and especially who wins, is replace the word best with the word most. So when you look at best visual effects, replace the word best with the word most. Most visual effects, that's who will win it. Best hair and makeup, most hair and makeup. Best costumes, most costumes. 
best director. In my mind, that reads most directing. What had to happen to make this movie? Think about the person who made this movie happen. How many different things did they have to do? I'm very excited for Justine Triette. I'm excited for everybody. It doesn't make a lick of sense to me that there's... there's, I know that um, Anatomy of a Fall has been available for people in different markets. It just happens to, like, not be in mine. So that one doesn't make me as mad. But the fact that, like, I cannot see the zone of interest and it's in one of the most prestigious categories is just... It makes me upset. It actually does make me upset. And am I supposed to be embarrassed by saying that? I don't know. Do I ask my husband if he feels embarrassed when he tells me that he's sad that BYU basketball college guy didn't, you know, throw the ball high enough or whatever he has to do in basketball? I don't know. Anyway, other nominees. The best picture race is exactly as I predicted it. Um, but also, I mean, I'm not tooting my own horn here. That was pretty much a clear-cut race of American fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. I think Oppenheimer will take it. We've done Best Director, Best Actress. There's no, um, real surprises in Best Actor. Um, we have Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo for Rustin. That's kind of, like, the possible surprise, but... Like he he's been nominated in a lot of other, you know, precursor events like the Golden Globes and whatnot. Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Best Supporting Actress, we do have a surprise here. It's Emily Brunt, Emily Blunt, which if you want to look at Oscar campaigns, she has been doing the most campaigning this year. She's been everywhere. She's been so social. She's been hosting events. Her and her husband are both out and about constantly. She's going to In-N-Out, which is, you know, something that Hollywood people like to do to, like, seem relatable. And then she's talking in multiple, like, different press junkets about how, like, after the SAG Awards, or not the SAG Awards, those haven't happened yet. After the uh, Critics' Choice Awards, I went to In-N-Out and stuff. It's like, okay, we get it. Paul Giamatti did that, you know, a week ago after the Golden Globes. Anyway, she's campaigning hard. Daniel Brooks for The Color Purple, America Ferreira, which was a surprise for Barbie. Jodie Foster for Nyad, a movie that people don't really like, and it's on Netflix if you want to go see for yourself. And uh, Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers, who is a predicted winner. But let me just say here on the record... I would not be surprised if the outrage about Margot Robbie's snub for Best Actress translated into people, members of the Academy, wanting to vote for America Ferreira and the snub of Greta Gerwig, vote for America Ferreira for Barbie so a female from Barbie ends up winning. Because Ryan Gosling isn't going to win Best Supporting Actor, I one can assume. And Divine Joy Randolph should win for The Holdovers. That was incredible. Have you guys seen The Holdovers? It's insane. But I would not be surprised if people's angst and frustration about the Academy not nominating Barbie, or not no, nominating Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, 
translates into people voting for America Ferreira. So just keep keep that in mind. It could happen. And I wouldn't be mad at it. I mean, that monologue was insane. We're all going to think about that monologue every day for the rest of our lives. Best Supporting Actor, we have, this was a bloodbath. Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, which is surprisingly like only entered the conversation in the last like month or so. Kind of like that Andrea Riseborough thing. Like he wasn't nominated for a Golden Globe. People weren't, weren't really talking about his performance. Like a month ago, people were saying that Charles Melton was going to win this award. And then Charles Melton, Melton for May, December ended up getting snubbed, which is a travesty because that was the best supporting actor performance of the year, in my opinion. And so we have Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, Robert De Niro for, for Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Mark, uh, Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things, and Ryan Gosling for Barbie. Best Original Screenplay, we have Justine Triette for Anatomy of a Fall, David Hemmingson for The Holdovers, Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Sammy Birch for May, December, Celine Song for Past Lives, Thank Goodness. And then Best Adapted, we have American Fiction, Barbie, Poor Things, Oppenheimer, and The Zone of Interest. And I mean, that category, it is what it is. I mean, there's no shockers. I feel like not, you know, emotionally attached to anything going on really there. Um, But anyway, the last category I really want to talk about is Best Original Song because there was kind of a surprise. I don't know. And this is one of the categories that I'm surprisingly like the most nervous about. So the nominees are What Was I Made For by Billie Eilish and Phineas, I'm Just Ken from Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt, The Fire Inside, which is Diane Warren. We talked about her earlier for the Flamin' Hot Cheetos movie. And then It Never Went Away from John Baptiste from American Symphony. And then A Song for My People from the Osage tribal singers from Killers of the Flower Moon. And then there's like the real title on here. I just don't understand how to pronounce it. W-A-H-Z-H-A-Z-H-E. Wahazi? I don't know. Probably butchered that. But anyway, those are the nominees, but I'm so nervous because really this is a two-man race. This is not going to be Diane Warren's year. This is between What Was I Made For by Billie Eilish and Mark Ronson for I'm Just Ken. And then, okay, you want to think about this campaign-wise and like logistics-wise, like how do Academy voters vote? We can't really even use that criteria here because the normal criteria we would use in this category is often who has won before, who kind of won most recently, who is it time for, you know? And Billie Eilish won this award two years ago for James Bond. Mark Ronson won this award for um, the A Star is Born song, which why can't I remember it? but you know, that big Lady Lady Gaga one. Anyway, he won for the Lady Gaga one a couple years ago. So they both have won recently. So that just comes down to which song is not best, but moved the the story forward the most. That's how they're supposed to be voting here. And if we're going off of that criteria, I think it's I'm Just Ken, and it's the most fun. So I want that one to win. And I'm afraid that Billie Eilish's song is going to win. And it wouldn't be a travesty. Like, I mean, a travesty would be the Hot Cheeto song winning, right? But I could handle Billie Eilish winning. But if we're looking off of the criteria of the award, then it has to go to I'm Just Ken. It has to. It's gotta. It's gotta. Anyway, that's the end of my Oscar ranting. I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, Quick side note, we're now on a different day. I was falling asleep last night as I was recording this. And I decided to stop because I wanted to offer my people 
a quality product, which is a good podcast where I'm not falling asleep. So I stopped it and then I decided to pick it back up this morning. But anyway, here we are. Quick other news. Taylor Swift was at the Chiefs versus Bills game over the weekend. It was cute. I mean, there's not much to report lately. Like she shows up at places. She looks great. Her and Travis are cute. Travis is really leaning into the hand, heart, fearless deal. Jason Kelsey, he, you know, went into the stands shirtless. That was a fun moment. Not much to report there. Um, But just like a quick thing that I keep thinking about, my new Roman Empire, at least for this week, is over the weekend, I did like a question and answer thing on my Instagram, I like to do them like once every other week or so just to just to boost up engagement. I'm just a girl trying to thrive on the internet. Anyway, and somebody asked me like, what is the most well-written song by Taylor Swift? And to me, it's a no-brainer. The answer is Peace by Taylor Swift. That's her best, you know, like most well-written song. And then I wrote out, you know, how I feel about that song. It's so great, whatever. And then somebody sent me a message. Someone sent me a message and said that they went to a wedding and that was someone's first dance song and that it was so beautiful that they cried a man wrote me this message by the way and said that this was a first dance at somebody's wedding and i can't stop thinking about that for so many reasons number one lyrically the song Peace is not something that you want to wish upon somebody's relationship. It is not a, um, it's not a love song. It's a, will you still love me even if all I can provide you with is chaos? Like I could give you a lot of good things, but also I could never give you peace. Whether it's Taylor Swift talking about fame or somebody talking about struggles of addiction or depression or mental health issues or whatever. So it's very weird to want to start off your marriage by saying, we just got married. You're never going to have peace. This is our first dance song. And then the number two reason why that's so weird is because how do you dance to that song? That song has no melody. It's like it's notoriously melody-less. Like there's kind of a chorus that moves a little bit. But if you watch her folklore, Long Pond Sessions on Disney+, Plus. If you haven't done your monthly watching of the folklore long pong sessions, this is just your reminder, go watch it. And she talks in there about how it was just like a baseline that was very weird that she like wrote around and even Aaron Dessner was like, yeah, I kind of don't know how you wrote the song because I wrote it to be kind of like unsingable. Anyway, so congratulations to that happy couple. If you're out there, if you happen to be a podcast listener, let me know how you're doing. Maybe even provide me with a video of the dance because I I would like to see it um anyway I only have two more things on the agenda today number one is a quick little ballerina farm thing so ballerina farm has taken the internet by storm over the last week she had her baby her name was Flora M doodles and stuff did correctly predict that congratulations um Emily and she had the baby And then she made news because 10 days later, she was in the Mrs. World pageant, another pageant. That girl loves her pageants, representing America in the Mrs. World pageant 10 days after birth. 
and people were mad. People were mad that she was kind of perpetuating this you could have it all type of image and oh look how quickly I bounced back and whatever. And people already have issues with her because of her wealth and like, oh, you're homesteading and you're trying to make it look so attainable, but really you married one of the heirs of the JetBlue Airlines and whatever. Here's the thing. Normally, 99% of the time, when I hear the Ballerina Farm discourse, I kind of think valid-ish. To me, she's never really tried to hide her wealth, first of all. Number two... I've always just kind of thought like, okay, well, if you don't like it, then that's your responsibility as an adult to turn it off, you know? And also I've kind of looked at it as like, she's an Olympian, you know? Like I don't watch, um, like I remember when the Victoria's Secret fashion show was canceled. I was like a little sad just because I love watching the America's or the Victoria's Secret fashion show every year. And I wouldn't look at them and be like jealous because I can kind of use my own adult brain and be like, okay, they put in a lot of work. Yes, they have been genetically blessed, but they also put in a ton of work, work that I personally don't want to do in the same way that like, I don't watch Simone Biles do her amazing flips. I I feel like I'm minimizing the work that Simone Biles does. I don't watch Simone Biles perform or Serena Williams or anybody and go like, oh, I'm jealous because I can recognize like the incredible work that she took to get there. So part of me always watches Ballerina Farm kind of like, this is crazy and that's someone else's life and that's clearly not my life. So I'm a little amazed right now that she could make sourdough and do all this stuff with all these kids around. She's like an Olympian, but at like a mom level. And I recognize that she's putting in different work that is that I don't prioritize because I enjoy my life and I prioritize other different things. But that being said, This time it did maybe kind of rub me a little bit the wrong way, just because this might sound a little deranged, but she posted the baby's birth, went to the pageant, and then in those 10 days in between, she was withholding the engagement bait of the baby's name. And I know this sounds deranged because like, why does she owe us her baby's name, right? She doesn't owe us anything. She does not owe us the baby's name, but... She was withholding this engagement bait that she knew that people wanted to see. The entire internet. The entire internet. People that are interested in Ballerina Farm, they really wanted to know what she was going to name that baby. Especially people who are pregnant or in the freshly postpartum circles, but really the pregnant people who are looking at her. She is an influencer. To be an influencer, that means that you have influence. And she's been influencing people and people want to know what she's going to name their baby, her baby, because that helps inspire them, whatever. I felt like it was a little irresponsible to withhold that engagement bait while she goes and posts that she's at a beauty pageant 10 days later. Not the crime of the century. She shouldn't be burned at the stake. She's not evil. She's not irredeemable. Nothing like that. But I do think it's in poor taste in the same way that like if I knew that a friend was like going through a really hard time with like money or her marriage or something, I wouldn't go out to dinner with her and brag about how much my husband loves me. Or I wouldn't go and brag about financial successes or whatever. It's in poor taste. It doesn't make that person mean or horrible, but it just makes them a little tasteless, tacky. It's like a tacky move. I don't know. And also it's kind of like, I don't know. There is like a little bit of the false advertising aspect, which again, doesn't make me mad. It just makes me like a little disappointed that there's maybe not more disclosures or 
or anything. Like if she had thrown in and she doesn't owe us anything, but I don't know, guys. I am, when somebody is a content creator, the people consuming the content are in charge of what they consume, but also you're in charge of the content that you put out there. And I feel like if you are a content creator saying like really mean, offensive things or something or a racist thing or something, if a content consumer, if a follower looks at that and gets offended, are they in the wrong or is the content creator in the wrong? It's a content creator, right? But I, I, I just feel like it, the whole thing was just like a little irresponsible. And again, I'm like disappointed, not in like a mad way or in a we need to cancel ballerina farm way, but I'm kind of like, I wish that she would have put in maybe like a little bit more like real life stuff just to kind of cater to the people that could be in vulnerable states looking at her stuff. And I'm disappointed in the same way that I'm disappointed when I see um, like flat skinny tea being sold to teenagers without proper disclosures of like also with diet and exercise and whatever, then you can start to look like this, you know? And I'm disappointed. The example I keep using is like, I'm disappointed in the same way that like, when my kids have a school fundraiser and then they bring out the bike at the assembly to like pump everybody up for the fundraiser and they bring out the big bike and they know that nobody there will actually win the bike, like only one kid. And then all the kids go home really riled up. It's like a little bit of false advertising where it just kind of makes me like disappointed, not mad and just, it's just kind of like, Oh, it's not in, it's not in great taste to show all these kids a prize that they'll only win if they're the one person in the school that could raise the most money and that person is normally the person that could afford a bike anyway. You know what I mean? Do you guys catch my drift here? Anyway, I don't think Ballerina Farm should be canceled. I think that we need maybe 70% less think pieces about her. I The trad life conversation, I feel like, is a just one, like a justified conversation. It's important to have. But also, I feel like I keep having a hard time with it online because the people who are talking about trad wives are using such language where they're really just kind of like in an echo chamber preaching to the choir. And they think that by like using this highly elevated feminist language, they're going to be really making their point where... For me, it's even hard to understand sometimes like what all these think pieces are saying about the trad wives and whatever. You know what I mean? This is a weird rant. I hope that nobody is offended by any of this. Long story short, everybody do what you want except for when you're not doing the things that I want you to do. How about that? Um, anyway, that's about it. Oh, one more thing. This is for my Akatar girlies. Oh, wait. First, before we go with Akatar, have you guys all seen the Mean Girls movie? Have you guys, has everybody seen it? It's incredible. I'm obsessed. It was so good. But I'm so annoyed with everybody getting so mad at Angry Rice on like Twitter and on TikTok and everything. The girl that played Katie Heron about her singing voice and everything. Was she an amazing singer? No. But people keep comparing like the Broadway version to the movie version. And they're like, this is how horrible it sounds compared to the Broadway version. A movie musical, people need to watch more movie musicals. I think that's my verdict and my prescription for everybody. Watch more movie musicals because everybody thinks that it's supposed to sound one way when really a movie musical, like the Stupid With Love song in Mean Girls completely fits a movie musical. 
It would not fit on a Broadway stage. Broadway stage numbers have to be larger than life and loud and involve vocal acrobatics and belting and everything. In the movie, Stupid with Love was just a little nice dreamy number. So it's very, very, very weird that people are writing so hard on this. I am convinced that nobody ever wants to like anything anymore. That um, theory is also supported by the fact that my, entwi- my entire Twitter feed right now is people bagging on Barbie and like, it wasn't that good. That's why it didn't get nominated, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you guys all love this in July, but now it's like, you want to be a contrarian and you want to like, not like the other things that people like and like, oh, people are mad, but they shouldn't be mad because of this and this and this. And like, oh, like you're mad, but you shouldn't be mad because this other person got nominated and whatever. Like everyone sucks. Moral of the story. Everybody sucks except for me and you. And anyone else who's listening to this podcast, I love you all. Anyway, a quick Akatar theory. If you have read A Court of Thorn and Roses, and if you're on that journey, I need you to go to, let me find his page. Dang it, his username is like a weird thing to spell. If you just type in Andrew Akatar on TikTok, it will show up. But his username is like Andrew, spelled with a three... Andrew Sky, uh, I don't know. Just look up Andrew Akatar. His reviews of Akatar are so good and so funny. But he came up with a theory yesterday and posted it that Resand is actually like the bad guy throughout all of this. And like he has, it's like a 10 minute long video. And he goes over like how Feyre was manipulated and how you can kind of see the signs all along. And it has blown my mind. Literally has blown my mind. Everyone, if you've read Akatar, I'll go post it on my Instagram story. It's insane. My mind is blown. Anyway, that's it for today's episode of the I Just Want to Chat podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode. Sorry, it's a little bit late. I'm really going to try to get back on a every week schedule. That's really what I need to do, especially because I have like a lot of things I want to do. I want to do a newsletter soon. I want to do this. I want to like work on some like Patreon stuff at some point. And I just have to like get my consistency better, but it's just been like such a hellfire of a time trying to raise all of these kids. I mean, not, not that my life is hell, but you know what I mean? I'm just saying that I've been busy. That's all. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Um, make sure to go to vidangel.com to get your free two week trial of vidangel using my code want to chat. And we will see you next week. You can follow us in the meantime at, at I just want to chat podcast on Instagram and at TikTok. At TikTok on TikTok. Sorry about that. Just follow us everywhere. I just want to chat podcast. I love you all. Goodbye.